our teachers, all of our ministry, God, under your guidance today. Help us to hear and to receive and be responsive to you and to your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone say amen. God bless you as you give. God bless you, Brother Keith Nevan. Praise the Lord, everyone. How's everyone doing on this fine morning? Woo, come on. Sound alive. <laughs> Praise God. There's no place I'd rather be than in the house of God, worshiping God with my family members of, uh, of the body of Christ. And, um, and I can't wait to, to teach to you what God laid on my heart um, over the, the climate that I've been seeing in uh, church culture lately, just across the board, not just in our denomination, but if we go ahead and just pray real quick, Lord Jesus, open our hearts and open our minds, and and God, show us things uh, in, in history, Lord. Uh, give us a good foundation of where we come from, where the scriptures came from. We know that you breathe life, that you breathe the scriptures, Lord, but God, show us the historical foundation in today's teaching. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So, Today, I'm just going to go over with you guys uh, the history of canonization. Uh, canonization is the process of how your Bible was put together. So we're going to start with the Old Testament, and then we're going to go into the New Testament, because this is a very important field of study. If uh, Sister Dawn, if you could put up um, 2 Timothy 3.16-17. through 17. We'll just wait for that to go up. Okay. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect uh, through the furnished unto all good works. Okay. So there's, there's something that's ironic about what he's saying here, that all doctrine, all scripture the issue is in the New Testament, is he talking about these scriptures because it had not yet been written yet? Is he talking about the words that he's writing down right there? Is he talking about the epistles that he would eventually write? Is he talking about, uh, you know, the, the epistles of Peter? Is he talking about, uh, you know, all the books that we see in the New Testament? Well, the answer is... In God's eyes, yes, but in his eyes, he had no idea. All he was doing was writing letters. He didn't know that they would be canonized. He didn't understand that, that these letters would be spread across the, the nations, that they would be carried out as the church was being persecuted, and that as they were traveling, that they would be copying down these epistles, and that they would be copying down these letters, and that they would go and, and spread across the nation. He had no idea that that would probably happen. He had no idea that later, 2,000 years, uh, that those letters would still be in existence teaching us today. But God did. God did. He is the one who preserved these, the word of God. He is the one that preserved what we have today. 
but to understand how he preserved these things. How did he preserve the word of God? We actually have to dive into church history. And if we dive into church history, we'll understand how God used man, just as in writing the scriptures, uh, how he used man to also preserve uh, the scriptures, and how he used man to, to put together the word of God that we have today. So right now, how many books are in the Bible? 66, right? Well, in the Hebrew Bible, we know how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. How many books are in the Hebrew Old Testament? 24. There's only 24 in the Hebrew Bible. Well, why aren't we using a Hebrew Bible? What's the difference between the Hebrew Bible and our Old Testament that we have? Why do they have a different number and set of books? Well, if somebody asks you that question, how many of you can honestly answer it? Right, so this is going to be an important discussion so that we can arm ourselves with historical knowledge, not just scriptural knowledge. So canonization is the process by which some books were included in the Old Testament while others were excluded. We have to understand that in those days, people wrote a lot. Uh, that's what they did. We didn't have logging. We didn't have uh, YouTube. They, they didn't have... Um, you know, video recorders to, to, to film a documentary on what was going on. What they had was scribes, and what they had were scholars and people who wrote down history. That was their job. And canonization is the process of, the, of accepting what is there. It is also known as the measuring rod or the ruler of how uh, something was made canon. Now, the canon is the standard that all scriptures and books must meet. If you do not meet this criteria, you or that book will not be canonized. The books of the Bible were authoritative, and the Old Testament books shared the following five particular traits of the distinct, that distinguished them from the other mere books. Okay, they were written by the prophet of God. So that's why we see, you know, 13 books of prophets. They were, that prophet's authority was confirmed by an act of God. Did you know that there was multiple prophets that are not included in the Old Testament, but they're written about? They have their own, they have their own letters written. They have, there's multiple, um, multiple uh, sites, and there's multiple works of antiquity of other Old Testament prophets. But the issue is that they did not meet the criteria in order to become canonized by uh, Hebrew scholars. So that the prophet's authority was confirmed by an act of God. Well, what is, let's give an example of that, right? We, we have Moses uh, coming out of Egypt, and we see that that act was confirmed by God. Why? He, he split the Red Sea. It wasn't the, it wasn't the, he split the Red Sea, and we had the ten plagues, and it was confirmed. So it was written down. It was accepted by Hebrew people. The third one is the prophetic writing told the truth about God in harmony with God's other prophets. So what? The, the scriptures had to harmonize with one another. They could not contradict with one another. And so if we had a writing, which many of the Old Testament, the, the ones that didn't make it in, uh, number one, it was very hard to authenticate where the source came from. And also, they were plagued with things that contradicted what the major prophets had already stated. So they were, you know, eliminated. But it doesn't mean that you can't go read them or look at them just to have the information. But understand that they are not authoritative in the, in the word of God. They are not a part of the word of God. 
The fourth is the prophetic writings were accompanied with the power to God to change the people's lives. And understanding that, we, we look back at Moses. Um, Moses, he did what? He, he was a prophet of the Lord. Uh, as he was leading the people, he was prophesying, hey, we need to go do this. We need to change our lives. He, he prophesied unto Pharaoh, and he said, hey, if you don't let my people go, there are going to be some consequences. The ten plagues happen. Uh, Pharaoh finally gives, and he lets the people go. And he, they get to the Red Sea. The, the, the Red Sea is then spread, and we see that work accompanied uh, by other historical writings. And because the people changed, or because the people's lives completely changed, they went from slavery to, uh, to freedom, and then being into the wilderness, and then all of a sudden, ultimately being in Israel, we understand that this is a canonical piece of doctrine. Why? Because not only was it written in the historical books that we read in the Bible, but it was also written by the historians of the time that were not in relation of Israel. You can see, you can see people that feared the God of Israel who were not uh, Israelites. And they wrote about the accomplishment of the Israelites, and you see that story. Um, another story would be Noah. Noah, we, we understand, um, you know, the flood came, changed the landscape of the earth forever. Did you know that there's over 600 stories across the entire world of variations of uh, a God saving a family through a flood? 600 variations of that story. Obviously, the source coming from the Hebrew uh, stories and understanding that people could actually look at that and they say, yeah, that's, that's canonical. That's, that's actual doctrine because we can see these stories. People whispered about it. People were talking about it. And the source came from Hebrew doctrine. They came from Hebrew writings. Uh, the fifth was the prophetic writings were accompanied by the people of God as true. So the people who accepted, who, who were God's people, who were God's children, they accepted these writings as being true after they accomplished the first four steps. This is the canonization of the Old Testament. Now, the canonization of the New Testament is a little bit different. If I have time to get there, I'll, I'll, um, I'll touch on it. Now, there is little, if any, dispute about the books of the Old Testament. God's people in the Old Testament quickly accepted those books as inspired by God. When the Old Testament prophets spoke, it was clear that God had spoken. For example, the tablets of the laws that were, that were preserved in the ark, which was placed um, in God's presence on the earth. This placement indicates the sanctuary or the sanctity with which they were considered. The five books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch, which literally just means one book with five parts, were placed alongside them as long as Moses wrote them. Uh, the writings of the other prophets were added. The scriptures were eventually moved to the temple to be cared for by the priests in the day of Solomon. So we can actually trace the historical relevance or, or the origin of where these scriptures came from. So the Old Testament is actually a, a pretty locked down, sealed document of um, being able to trace it from history and moving it forward to what the people of the day accepted as God's, uh, as God's word. To this very day, Jews continue to have the same exact book as their Bible. The Hebrew Bible or the, Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh uh, is virtually identical to the Christian Old Testament Bible with a few organizational exceptions. Remember I said that, um, you know, the, our Old Testament, it has 39 books. Well, 
their Bible, the Tanakh, what we use in the Old Testament, only has 24. Well, how do I, how do I describe the, the discrepancy? I mean, that's, you know, that's it's quite a few books that are in the other direction. Um, you know, it's 15 books. So where, where are these other 15 books? Well, we have to understand when we began to categorize the Old Testament to understand it better, uh, we began to separate books. Kings 1, Kings 2. It's actually one book. Um, you know, Samuel 1, Samuel 2. It's actually one book. Um, matter of fact, I'll go through it some more. I'll show you all the books that they put as one book because that's how they understood it. You also have to remember that the Bible did not have verses. There was no such thing as verses. It was just, story. You, you just read it linearly. You, you went for it. Um, and there was no verses to cite. They just memorized it. And, and so that was something that was added much later in order to help organize our thoughts and help uh, be able to cite certain places of scripture. You know, nonetheless, Jews and Christians agree that the content of the Old Testament we have uh, today is in total canon of scripture of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself agrees with this. By the time of his birth, the content of the Old Testament was a settled matter. And Jesus accepted and learned and taught the Old Testament as we would have um, without any modification. So Jesus, what did he teach in the synagogues? He taught the Old Testament. He taught the canonization of what he believed, of what his people accepted. Well, that's a pretty important thing. Why? Because he was God walking in flesh. So he wouldn't teach something that wasn't supposed to be in there. So we understand that the Bible, or that the, that the Tanakh, or the, the Old Testament, was approved by Jesus Christ because of what he taught in the synagogues. Jesus also spoke of the Old Testament as existing from what? From Genesis all the way to Zechariah, or a contemporary of, of Malachi, the final book in the Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrew canon was closed and settled with the final books of the Old Testament, Malachi around, what, 400 B.C. Malachi concluded with the, the promise that the next event was going to be what? It was going to be the coming of Jesus Christ. That's it. He said the next thing that we need to write about, the next thing that's going to happen is going to be the coming of Jesus Christ. So anything that happens in between that period is what we call the, inter, the intermission period. So the Hebrew canon was closed and it was settled by 400 B.C. Um, until we see John the Baptist come and prepare the way. Importantly, the temple was destroyed in, in 70 A.D., which means that the Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah today, they wait in vain because we know that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So after 70 A.D., the promise of, uh, the, promise of the prophet could not be fulfilled uh, or, or cannot be fulfilled according uh, to how we believe in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament in the first is, is the first section of two parts of our Christian biblical canon. The second section is obviously the New Testament. The Old Testament includes the books of the Tanakh, uh, which is also a fun word called proto-canon, which is, sounds sci-fi, um, and in a various Christian uh, denominations. And let's talk. we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, the, the Deuteronomical books, which are canon, or which are canon in some, and the, the Deutero books are not Deuteronomy, they're another set of books. Um, the, the old, or, and some denominations include this, we also, how many people here have heard of the Apocrypha, right? Anybody? Catholics use the Apocrypha? It's a, um, yeah, it, it's just a history lesson, but some, 
Some Christian organizations, uh, the Catholic Church, they, uh, they brought in the Apocrypha. Um, and so we're going to talk about the time period of the Apocrypha and why it is not canonized in the Old Testament, because that's probably where the most uh, discrepancy is found. So we have the Deuteronomical books, uh, Orthodox Christians, Catholics, and Protestants. We use different canons, which differ with the respect to text uh, and that are included in the Old Testament. Martin Luther, holding to the Jewish or and other ancient uh, precedents. Uh, so before Martin Luther, everybody pretty much just went with what? They, they went with what we have today. But because Martin Luther came onto the scene, we all know that, you know, Martin Luther, he, he was the leader of the Protestant movement. He's, he's basically the reason why, um, you know, we, we, have, we have a lot of the things that we have today. It, it's, it's the Protestant movement turned into uh, the Baptist movement. You know, it's the reformation of the church. It's one of the biggest, most historical um, landmarks of uh, the Christian church in the direction that it would move. So Martin, so, in, so he was completely against the power of the time. What was the power of the time? The Catholic church. When was this? It was about uh, 1546. So what happened was the Catholic Church, in order to protest against the Lutheran movement, they had to canonize other books. They thought this is what would solve their problem. So they actually brought in the Apocrypha and said that this is canonized. And you can look that up at the Council of Trent in 1546. Uh, that's a historical context. Before then... The Apocrypha, even to the Jews, was not looked at as canonized. It was just looked at some books of lore, uh, books of history. Um, just like we have books that support the Bible and history, but we don't consider them canonized. And, that, and the reason why they're not in there is because the people of God rejected them. The people of the Old Testament rejected them. And they, and it, they were written during the intermission time. So the intermission time, when, when, what was that period? It was the period after uh, 400 B.C. So this is why if anybody ever comes to you with about the Apocrypha books as being canon as the word of God. And I'm going to show you where that actually started as well within the church fathers, uh, within the first few centuries of the church. Because we did have some people who said, oh, that they were canonized and they were literally booted out of the church and excommunicated because of how they were believing in adding words to the Bible. Because we know what? That you cannot add or take away from the word of God. <coughs> so, in that aspect, uh, the Deuteronomical books, um, basically what this means is hidden. Uh, they, they mean, it means hidden or secret, or the second canon are, uh, are books and passages considered by the Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church to be canonical uh, of the Old Testament, even though Hebrews don't believe that they're canonical. So I don't understand how that, their thought process is there. A lot of times people just want to be different so that they feel special. They're like, oh, I read the book of Enoch. Oh, I read the book of Thomas. So like they, they try to want to be like intellectually special, and it really doesn't make them special at all. It just kind of, when you read through church history, it kind of just makes them wrong. Um, if they believe it as canonical, um, which, and we have to understand that, that these books, they were not accepted by, by the Jews. They were not accepted at all by the Jews, who is where we should be getting our source from, because they were the ones who, 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 they were God's people. So, like, why would I ever do anything different than what the Jews believed in? Why, why would I ever accept anything different than what the Jews believed in? So, now the canonical, uh, books of the Old Testament, but they were considered 
canonical to the Protestant movement. So Martin Luther kept the tradition. It's the reason why the King James Version Bible, the way that we have it, um, it doesn't include the Apocrypha or the Deuteronomical books, which are two different things, and I'll go over that real quick. So, um, we, so where do these books come from? Where does the Apocrypha come from? Because these are the major areas of contention. Well, they come from this, from the original Greek writing called the Septuagint, right? So what was the Septuagint? It was the main Greek manuscript that was being used at the time of, um, at the time of Paul, at the time of um, a lot of, uh, at the time of basically when the Greek was the language of the world. It was the trade language. So the Septuagint is what Paul used in order to read the Old Testament, by the way. And it included these books, but it was not canonical. It was just simply there in the placement uh, for historical context. And matter of fact, it is referred to a couple times, but not as being canonical, because if it was, then we would see it accepted widely across um, the Hebrew spectrum. So what are the Deutero books? Well, you have uh, the book of Tobit, you have Judith, you have the book of wisdom, also called the wisdom of Solomon, you have Sirach, which is also called the Ecclesiasticus, um, you have the um, uh, first Maccabees, second Maccabees, and Barak. And these are the books that are of the Deuteronomical um, context. So we also have the additions to certain actual verses and chapters and books. So what do you have? You have the addition to Esther uh, through the Vulgate, which is a Latin manuscript. Uh, you have the additions to Daniel. You have the prayer of Azira. And you also have the Song of the Three Holy Children. You have Susanna. And you have Bell and the Dragon. I kind of wanted to read that. I haven't read that part yet. So I don't know what the dragon is, if it's the actual physical dragon or not. That'd be pretty cool. Um, so the Apocrypha, what is that? The Apocrypha is the prayer of, Masa, uh, of Manasseh, and we have the Songs of Solomon uh, 150. It's, it's different. It's not included in the Psalms. We have, uh, Ez or we have Ezra, uh, a version of Ezra. We have Maccabees 3 and 4. This is the Apocrypha. And all together, they are called this real fun word, the Anagig Noscomomena. That's, that's what they're all called together. Real fun. Uh, this 16th century debate drew on the traditions witnessing the counterparts of the debate of the 4th and 5th centuries. So what? The Catholic Church brought back a debate all the way, all the way back to the 4th and 5th century of what is canonical and what is not. Even though they already had the established uh, thing, which shows that People can change history. People can change the course of what we believe if we don't go through history and see where it came from and understand where it came from. Somebody can put a, you know, somebody could put a book in the Word of God that may not need to be there because we see it in other Bibles, right? We see the Catholic Church literally putting in the Apocrypha and it changed their religion and the things that they read and that they believe came from God. People can do this. Matter of fact, the canonization of the books is not closed. It's not closed at all. Even today, scholars can add the, to the word of God if they find other books. If they find books that have a legitimate claim to within the first century. So, so understand that people are, can, can change the book to the way that they believe. Matter of fact, we see this all the time through manuscriptual te uh, textual criticism. If you've ever read the New World Translation that the Jehovah Witnesses use, you will see some grievous errors in it. 
You know, the most popular is John 1 and 1. In the beginning was God, or in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was A, lowercase g, God. A, lowercase g, God. How do we read it? It was God himself. It was, it was you know, everything that was God. Um, and so we can see grievous errors. We can see people actually translating things on purpose, by choice, to change their doctrine in order to influence the population um, to get them to believe that they are wrong and that this is a higher revelation. And because people are gullible and they want the best intentions, they'll believe it, accept it, and believe it wholeheartedly, even though they are in grave error of what they believe in. So this has always been used. The Catholic Church, to believe it or not, they used the Bible as a controlling mechanism. They didn't use it to really glorify God, especially once it became um, evident uh, through indulgences and through, uh, and through <laughs> a lot of the stuff that they were doing in the church uh, as, as business-like, buying the properties that they were doing, showing the gold cases, building the monstrosities that they did, uh, you know, they, and they justified it through the work and the glory of God when in reality it wasn't. So they countered the, the heresy at the, the canon of the Council of Trent. So the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, it consists of uh, 24 books, uh, that, that are recognized by the, by the Rybaic um, Judaism Council. Uh, there is no scholarly consensus that ever goes against this because they're the ones that control the scholarly work, and they're the ones that say, yeah, this is it. Um, so anybody who kind of goes against it, they, not that they would be wrong, it's just that you're so far removed from history that you can't really prove it otherwise, where their writings have been there since the first and second uh, centuries. So because of that, it's very hard for a scholar today to say that they're wrong because they're so removed from history. Um, even Hebrew scholars who have tried to, to write about the, the, the text of the Old Testament saying that, you know, this book probably shouldn't be in there and this other book probably shouldn't be in there. And, you know, some of those books that are under contention and scrutiny all the time is the book of Esther. And, uh, and there's, there's reasons for that, but they, you know, the Jewish people are the ones who accepted it. So the Jewish scriptures outside the Torah and the prophets uh, were fluid with different groups seeing authority in different books. You had small sections, just like we do today in the New Testament. Uh, we have small sections that believe in some of these books, but it is not what is considered orthodox. And this is something that you see in the New Testament all the time, especially in church history within the first and second century, because there are, or in the third century, because there are other books in the New Testament that did not make it canonized within our um, within the word of God. You have the book of Judas, you have the book of Mary, you have the book of the shepherd of Hermas, you have uh, a ton of Gnostic Bible books. Um, and so you, we have to understand and know where they came from and how to defend our position when someone comes to you and says, why isn't the book of Enoch in the Old Testament? Why, why isn't the book of Mary in your New Testament? Why don't you have the Apocrypha in, and you know it was written uh, you know, 250 B.C. To, to 310 B.C. before Christ. Like, you, you know that's when it was written, right? Why wouldn't it be in the Old Testament? It was before Christ. We have to give an actual answer in order to defend our position. So the canon is until um, the reign of, of Artaxerxes. As mentioned by Josephus uh, in his book, uh, it's called Against Apollon. And uh, book one, paragraph eight, uh, but for a long time, 
that date uh, of divine inspiration of Esther, the Songs of Songs, Ecclesiastes, what was often under scrutiny. These were the books that were actually under scrutiny all the time until Josephus actually wrote a paper. There's a whole thing that I would read here that what Josephus said uh, that makes a ton of sense. I just don't have time to do it. Um, and, uh, so all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and to rebuking and correcting and training um, the uh, and training and, and the man and, and thoroughly equipped for what for every good work this is what Paul was writing and what Paul was writing to was obviously to the Old Testament why because the New Testament had not yet been written he didn't understand that that what he was writing was actually going to become canonized he had no idea he was just writing letters to correct people he was writing letters to to um he was writing letters to just to help the church in that day. And he had no idea. He's just doing a good thing. He had no idea that this would be or this would continue the breathed work of God. You know, I heard one saint bless bless their heart. Um, they said, you know, if the, the King James Version Bible was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. And I was like, wait, what? Like the New Testament wasn't written when Paul was around. <laughs> King James Version wasn't written until 1611. So it, this, that actually kind of inspired me on this, by the way. Um, so just to, just to give you some insight, the, the King James Version Bible wasn't around until 1611. There were other English Bibles before it, the Geneva, the Bishop, the Tyndale. Um, the King James Version Bible came through. Uh, the, the mass production It's the reason why it became the most popular. And if you have a problem with newer version Bibles, just real quick, um, people had problems with the King James Version Bible when it first came out. They thought their Geneva Bible was fine, their Bishop's Bible was fine. And when the new, you know, when the new Bibles came out, or when the King James Version Bible came out, they looked at it just like we look at the, the new translations today. Which, there are some rightly translations to be afraid of, but most of them are, are pretty good. They have good scholarly work behind them. Um, so... All scriptures are breathed by God. When Paul wrote, the only Bible he had was the Old Testament, known today as the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. So, the Tanakh or, or the Torah. <coughs> the, the books of prophecy, the most historical narrative uh, passages, and um, so that Paul was referring to the scriptures, he would be referring to what he known as the Old Testament. In regards to the second uh, the second part of this, we're, during the first three centuries, after Christ resurrected, many gospels and acts and, apostle, and, and epistles were written. So what we need to understand is from the Old Testament, the books that we have in our Old Testament Bible are true. That is what Jewish people and historians believe in. There's 39 books um, that we have within that. In the, in the Torah or the Tanakh, we have what? We have 24 books, and it's just because they're categorized differently. They include a bunch of books into one. That's it. That's the only difference. So if anybody ever asks you that question, you have an answer for it now. Now, the New Testament was a little bit different in the way that it became canonized. There wasn't a huge group that came together like the Jews had. It was literally just writings that people were making and that they were spreading amongst the people. Why? Because the Christians weren't exactly that organized during the first century because it was a new movement. Matter of fact, Paul had to contend with the faith every single time he went out to a new church. Why? Because we had this thing, Gnosticism, that was bleeding into the church. And Gnosticism really just means that it was um, 
that they didn't believe what was orthodox. So they just classified them as Gnostics. There's all different kinds of definitions about them. There's all different kinds of people, uh, whether they were the Edenites, whether they were the Hellenists, whether they were whatever. They were all considered under the same thing, uh, Gnosticism. And so in the New Testament, they had to build the New Testament off the principle of the Old Testament. What was it? They could not come against the word of God, the prophets or, or what was being spoken. It all had to be a fulfillment thing. It all had to be an understanding of what the scriptures had to say um, and how Jesus taught those scriptures. It, it all had to do with Jesus. So what were the, the qualifications of the New Testament? So when they started coming together, and by the way, at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, which is also where they discussed, um, where Arian and Athanasius discussed the, the beginnings of what would later become the Trinity, whether Jesus Christ lived in eternity with the Father in the beginning, um, was also the place where they solidified the other books uh, in the Bible. So the, in the New Testament. So what? The, the first qualification had to be this. The books considered authoritative were written by an apostle or by one close to an apostle. For example, the four New Testament Gospels are the only historical documents that can be shown with certainty to be first century documents. All the other supposed Gospels were composed well into the second and third century. The New Testament Gospels were basically the, the eyewitnesses' accounts of what Jesus did. The books considered as holy, the second thing is the books considered as holy scriptures were consistent with both the Old Testament and the, the New Testament teachings of the apostles. We have to understand that there was a Gnostic movement in the early church that taught heresy and took root in the second century. Uh, what would be considered Gnostic would be like the things that you find in Galatians, right? Uh, what they, they believed that circumcision was still a way into heaven, like it was necessary for salvation. That is a Gnostic teaching. Even though it's he Hebraic in, in origin, it's Gnostic because it was they were New Testament Jesus believers. They were not Hebrew. They were, they were Jesus believers, but they were teaching something for salvation's sake. Other Gnostic... Uh, Religions believed that you couldn't be saved and that there was a secret method in order to be saved. Like basically you had to find a hidden cheat code in order to be saved. Other people believed that Jesus Christ was not actually God manifested in flesh. They believed that they believed that he was anointed and became the Messiah through the good works that he did and that he qualified himself to become the Messiah. And all of these people wrote books. All of these Gnostic people wrote books. And thank God they are not in what we read today because we would be messed up because they do not flow with what we see. And we cannot pin down the history and who wrote them. Uh, to give you an idea, we found a book recently called The Book of Judas. All right. The Book of Judas was written sometime in 225 A.D., they think. Uh, but we cannot pin down an origin. Liberal scholars, which is a thing, there are liberal scholars, and they believe that everything should be accounted for and everything should be thrown into the word of God. They believe, they think that it should be biblical canon. And guess what? If the council votes that it should be biblical canon, they find enough evidence that it was a first century writing, even though they know that it's not, it can actually become canon in today's atmosphere. It's kind of a scary thought. Because the canonization has not been closed to the New Testament. Number three, the books included in the Bible were the ones which are experienced widespread use in the church. 
The reason why we have the ones that we have is because they were widely used in the church. It's because we found them. It's because they, they were kept for us, that they were preserved. And I think that that is the divine handling of, of God with the people of God. And the ones that were in the word of God uh, that came in, or, or the ones that didn't make it or weren't preserved aren't supposed to be there. I think that's how God preserved his word and allowed men to choose in understanding the historical context of what the New Testament became. And the fourth and last thing, and I'm going to be closing, <coughs> is, the, um, is the, perse the persecution quickly determined which books were more likely breathed by God. Some books were more easily surrendered to persecuting soldiers. Others were worth dying for. And the ones that were worth dying for were typically the ones that made it. The ones that people sacrificed and they martyred themselves for were the ones that typically made it. So those 27 New Testament books, along with the 39 books of the Old Testament, make up the Holy Bible that we have today. The divine nature of the Old Testament books... Uh, was set in the place of, of the Jews beginning in, what, 1200 B.C. as far as canon was, was concerned in the Old Testament. Um, and it was finalized in the 400 B.C. with the book of Malachi. The New Testament, we see it finalized and solidified by the church fathers um, <coughs> about the third century. Because these were the widespread used books that we use today. So if we could all just stand and that's the end of my teaching. I hope you guys like history. Was that, was that okay? Yeah, like, okay. Uh, I think that we should be equipped not only in scripture, but also in textual history and context of when things were happening. And, uh, and that will give you the, the, most, uh, the most broad view and perspective that we could possibly have. So let's just go ahead and pray for the service. Lord Jesus, mighty God, ready our hearts. Oh, Lord, we, we are coming to the end of our fast. God, we, we expect miracles, Lord, from you. You are a sovereign God. You are a powerful God. Oh, Jesus, ready our hearts. Open up our hearts. Open up our minds to receive your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Feel free to fellowship, to go to the bathroom. Um, but if you could, you, you can also come up and pray for the service and the, to ready our hearts and our minds. Also, if you look up at the screen, we have um, our announcements on slides, so just go ahead and read through those.